questions this morning we're going to be answering, we're going to go back to do some review where we were several weeks ago. And basically what's going on is as we catapult into Acts chapter 24, there's a very interesting relationship that arises between a man named Tertullus and then there's the governor of the, the governor of, of the Roman Empire, basically, he's one of the governors, is Felix. And so what happens to Paul along the way is incredible. We're going to see how that relationship kind of unfolds and what it means to, to Paul. So in chapter, in chapter 23, we're going to pick up at verse 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is it that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But but do not thou yield unto them. For there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night. And provide them beasts, that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner, Claudius Lysias unto the most excellent governor Felix sendeth greeting. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause whereof they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of question of their law, but to have nothing laid to to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And then when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him, farewell. Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. On the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the castle. And when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was, and when he understood that he was of Cilicia, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. At the end of this chapter, Paul is still being detained. At this point, everything that he has given proves that he should not have been detained and incarcerated. He's a Roman citizen. He's also a Pharisee from his mother's side. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, which takes him all the way back to the original 12 uh, sons of Jacob, the, uh, the, the nations of Israel, and he can prove on both sides that he should not be taken in. So look what happens in chapter 24. And after five days, Ananias, as the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. Now, he's a Jewish priest informing everyone against Paul. 
What's the problem with this? Well, we're going to see that. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, we accepted always and in all place most noble Felix with all thankfulness. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow. They're calling Paul a pestilent fellow. And a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world. And a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Who also hath gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining whom thyself mayest take knowledge of these things, whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. They're literally saying that these things, which were nothing but bold-faced lies, were so. This past Thursday, we went to the International Council of Christian Churches, and I talked to a friend of mine that I knew from way back. He's a pastor of a church. He's been a pastor for many years, and they just went through a split. It was a massive split. And what happened was he was part of the PCA, and right now, according to him, they're now becoming very compassionate to the whole sodomite culture. I thought the PCA would be a holdout. They were usually a pretty good evangelical, pretty solid Presbyterian sect, but definitely outside of the Presbyterians that we, we've been... Um, that we're, that we're in, the Presbytery we're in, but now they're becoming, they're, he said they're starting to become compassionate and they're starting to make decisions and moves in there. So he went up against it, and what did they do? They filed charges against him. Lisey. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. Right. Right. I'm exactly. Well, when they had their synod meetings and a lot, you you never knew what you were going to get at one of their Presbyterian synod meetings. And I can give a whole list of things that have happened. But the but what I'm trying to 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 plug plug what we were talking about to this. This man stands up. He defends the truth, scripturally. He half of his church came up against him and brought charges against him. He was not exonerated and half the church has left because he would not give in. This is Paul. This is, what I'm, this is all the way down the line to convey what's going on here is very important for us personally as Christians. What had just happened? Who had Paul spoken to right before this happened? Who had he spoken to? Or who saw him at night in a dream? Christ himself. He comes and basically the very presence of Christ is, is proof positive of what has happened in Paul's life. We see that he has a defense. He was pursued to be killed. We see that a young man comes to stand up to save the apostle Paul. He has his own family, a nephew, if we were to go back. Now, I know that we went over this somewhat. I can't remember where we left off, but I'd like to go lead up to this chapter 24, which is fairly new to us. 
and what, what we're going to be looking at. But Paul, he could have been pulled to pieces. There were so many times that his life was threatened and he was definitely facing one of many endless deaths. And the Lord had told him, fear not, you're going to Rome. You're not going to like how you're going to Rome, but you're going to Rome and you're going to be alive and breathing when you do. He's going to go to Rome in chains. And that's exactly what's happening here in chapter 24. And everything Christ said perfectly happened. Lisi. Right. Amen. That's a good point. That's right. Well, we can plug this. We can actually meld this into what we're studying on the Wednesday night prayer meeting. And it's kind of like in the last couple of weeks, it's been, it's been a dual, a do-all uh, kind of, of discussion about what King David's objective was when we read Psalm 51, the penitential psalm. What his objective was, was to be cleansed. What was his objective? What were the disciples' objective when Christ, we're, we're in Psalm 51, we are in Acts 1 right now because we're speaking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And basically you have, what happens with David is he says that he, he, will, he wants to be cleansed, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean, wash me and I shall be wetter than snow. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. So what is he trying to do? He wants his life to him. His life is the joy of Jesus Christ in his heart. He wants to be able to witness of this wonderful gospel. And then you go to Acts 1, when Christ ascends. What is the objective of the disciples? To be prepared by the Holy Spirit to go out and spread the gospel into all the world. That's what they're doing. So David wants to spread the gospel. The disciples, they're going out to spread the gospel. And remember, there was a lot of dissension between the disciples leading up to the crucifixion. And now the Lord has prepared them for the mission field. And here's Paul. Now he's incarcerated after Christ had said many times, They hate me. They will hate you. They will take you in. You will be persecuted. But remember, the Holy Spirit will speak through you. And there's Paul giving the gospel. Remember, as we go forward this morning, always remember that what's happening here back in Caesarea, then in Antipatris, and then he goes on to the palace to go see Felix. What happens is, every time Paul is questioned, he never defends himself. That's what Christ did. Remember, he was arraigned. He didn't sit there with personal intimations and try to defend himself on a personal level. What he does is he gives them the gospel and he warns them what's happening. And that was, his, that, that was his time to preach. You know, preaching doesn't just happen in a pulpit. You can preach in your prayers when you're praying with others, when you're witnessing to them. In so many levels, giving the gospel. And this is what Paul is doing. And what happens is there's a young man who comes out of nowhere, which we've seen very, very weak people that the Lord uses all throughout Scripture to do very great things. And it happens to be his nephew. And so that goes back to verse 11. 
Christ has encouraged him. And we learn some things about what but Paul being spared. His nephew finds out the information about how there is a coup of 40 basically rogue Jews that have been going, basically been given the authority from the Sadducees to grab Paul, and they are going to fast 40, as long as it takes until they kill him. And that's what's happening. So Claudius Lysias, he catches, up, he catches on to this, and he basically, he wants to look good, because he's like, well, if they, if they grab Paul on my watch, and they take him and they kill him, boy, am I going to look bad. So the nephew comes in, he speaks to Paul, Paul turns him over to the Roman guard, and the nephew tells him what's happening, and they're, wait, they're waiting. They take him by horse, they take him away, and they bring him all the way to Antipatris. And that's what happens. But what we learn about what Christ does with Paul is he has forgiven him. Just like the forgiveness of Israel, just like forgiveness in miracles. We go to Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Paul knows he's been forgiven and he's doing the work. So Christ met with Paul and he had a wonderful encouragement. As we move forward, Paul's brought into the castle. It's an impossible situation. And so he could have been torn to pieces. These, these, these Jews went after him to try to kill him. And his nephew was the instrument of salvation. And basically, Paul must have been wondering, is there any fruit at all left in my work? How am I ever going to make it through this? This is it for me. Knowing, even knowing that Christ had said, I will be with you, it's... Wonderful to have that encouragement. I can't imagine having Christ speak to me in a dream. But I can tell you, as weak as we all are, many times the prophets had audible words coming from God himself. And when things progressed and physically they were basically being threatened and things happened, it got tough. And that's what happened here with Paul. You know, think about what happened at Calvin in Strasbourg, and when he was tossed out of his congregation, he, he had suffered from cold and hunger, but he loved the little congregation that he was given in Stroudsburg. He loved that. Think about the, this quote from, uh, we, we, we read one of the quotes from Charles Spurgeon, and I love to take this, and I love to plug this into our lives, because the Wednesday night prayer meeting is filled with prayer requests of very heart felt requests of loved ones, unspoken prayer requests, loved ones that have cancer, people that are going through tough times. Charles Spurgeon himself went through tough times. And listen to what he said. Sing in trouble. Again, because God loves to hear his people sing in the night. Why did he say in the night? Because that's when it gets really tough, doesn't it? You, you know, we have those nights when you're really struggling, you have trials and you're up all night. And that's when you're vulnerable and you feel very weak. Been there many times. He says, sing in the night. Sing in trouble. Again, because God loves to hear his people sing in the night. At no time does God love his children singing so well as when he, as when he has hidden his face from them and they are all in darkness. Sing then, Christian, for singing pleases God. And what that means is when the Lord allows us to be in darkness. That's our trying period. That's our trial when we are really struggling and he loves to hear us sing to him. And that's what David prayed for in Psalm 51. Lord, let me sing again. This is the sweet psalmist of Israel whose harp was now set down on the table. His, the, the, uh, the, the psaltery, all of the instruments were now quiet. His singing, his dancing was all stopped. He had sinned. 
And so he begs the Lord to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Then I can sing again. Then I can witness. And it happens. And what the process is to seek Christ. And so this is what he says. Here's another quote Spurgeon gives. The more the wind rages, the more you feel that the anchor holds you. It is often so with us when the winds are out and the storms are raging, there is plenty of fear, but there is no danger. We may be much tossed, but we are quite safe, for we have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which will not start. One blessed thing is that our hope has such a grip of us that we know it. In a vessel, you feel the pull of the anchor, and the more the wind rages, the more you feel that the anchor holds you. Like the boy with his kite, the kite is up in the clouds where he cannot see, but he knows it is there, for he feels its pull. So our good hope has gone up to heaven, and it is pulling and drawing us towards itself. How beautiful is that? He also says, it is the bold Christian who can sing God's sonnets in the darkness. Songs in the night to prove that we have true courage. I love what Donald Trump said last night at the Freedom, um, what was it called? He was at a town hall meeting last night, freedom of the, it was the freedom of tradition, freedom of tradition or whatever. He said last night, he, every time he speaks now, he speaks more about defending Christianity every time he speaks. And last night he said that the, the, the religious born-again Christians are the soul of this nation. That's what he said. And he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He's now quoting scripture. Last night he said, blessed are the peacemakers. And he goes, I believe I've been put here to be a peacemaker. And he also said, woe be unto those that are tearing up the babies because wait till the Lord gets a hold of them. He said that. He said that. And I, I couldn't. I was in the kitchen and I turned it up. And it was amazing to hear him say those things. He sees the trials. I don't know. I've been praying hard for him that the Lord brings him full circle to, to loving the Lord, and every time I hear him speak, he talks more about the Lord. Does he have problems? Don't we all? But he is trying. So I think, think we should, that's a wonderful blessing. We should pray for him. Look at Paul. He's speaking so profoundly about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What could be more lovely? We're going to look at the Jews here in a minute, and I'm going to show you something that I've read this passage Many, many years, many, many times. And something hit me I never saw. And I think that it's fascinating. Can someone go, I would like, like for you to read, going back to these trials that Paul's facing, that we just heard from Spurgeon. I, I, I had many verses written down, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to like kind of um, um, maybe shorten it just a little bit so that we can go forward. But can someone look up Psalm 107 and read verses 21 to 30? Listen to these words. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them 
He has control. Thank you, Matthew. He has control over the seas. And every time I've ever heard a message about Christ on the Sea of Galilee being asleep in the back of the ship, I think of Psalm 107. And many times it's incorporated how even though the storms rage, and here we go into Acts 24, here in a second, the storms are raging, the tidal waves are getting bigger, and Paul stands his ground. Everyone else is coming unglued. Everyone else is angry. They're, they don't know what to do. They're passing the blame. They're, they're, we'll see how, how actually Tertullus is actually lifting up the governor who is nothing but a wicked, bloodthirsty tyrant. And Paul is the one that remains loyal. And so, thank you for reading that, Matthew. That is a, that's a wonderful passage. Now we see Felix comes into play as we, we head towards verses 25 to 29. He is a high-up official. He is a governor. Luke had written about the letter to Felix from Claudius Lysias and clearly designed levels of order. He was the apex of an emperor. He was a part of a member of a senate. And he was very, very powerful. And here he has taken Paul away from the the, the brutal hands of the Jews that wanted to just rip him to shreds, and now Felix has him in his clutches. He has many accomplishments. Many of them are very bad. He was governor over Judea from A.D. 52 to 59. He had brutally angered the Jews and was not highly regarded. Felix was not. Let me go back and fix what I just said. It was Claudius Lysias that had Paul, and then he hands him over to Felix. That's what happens. And Claudius Lysias, he is a Roman. He hands him over to Felix. And then there's this man that comes out of nowhere. The plot against Paul's life is rendered further pressing here from Jerusalem all the way to Caesarea. And Lysias turns Paul over to Felix into Antipatris, where Paul is taken to a military post about 40 miles from Jerusalem. Travelers from Jerusalem to Caesarea, they often rested there to get from Jerusalem. And one night would have been an exhausting, exhausting transition for Paul himself on foot. It was very rough terrain and it was difficult and very, very dangerous. You know, God's providence overrules any anticipated sufferings to Paul from the Roman Empire. And Felix was a bloodthirsty man. Paul would now stand before governors. Can someone read Matthew chapter 10 verses 18 to 20? We're going, to re- we're going to leave off, and that's the basically the benediction we're going to put on chapter 23. And now look what happens. Glad we have plenty of time. This is fascinating, in my opinion. Hmm. And there you have it. Thank you, Teresa. The Holy Spirit, the only mouth that holds the power, the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit is Paul the Apostle. The only one. There is no sign, there is nothing that says that Ananias, Tertullus, or anyone was working off the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can see, you go back to the tenets of the Sermon on the Mount, the only one who was bestowing them was Paul. So what does this mean? Christ said here, the Gentiles, you're going to have a problem with them. Now I can see in the Old Testament why maybe the prophets had tread so lightly on bringing 
to fruition and showing the prophecy of one day the Jews, the faithful Jews that love Christ, going to the Gentiles. Because it never said that ever, all of them were going to drop to their knees and just worship Christ. Most of them were brutal and wanted to kill the followers of Christ. I don't care if they were Roman. It didn't matter if they were former Pharisees like Paul. Whether they had a Gentile background, it didn't matter who they were. Whoever was carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ, look at Stephen. Stephen was a Gentile, I believe. Either he or Philip. I think I know Philip was. But all of them suffered persecution. Paul goes into chapter 24. He's not released yet. At the end of chapter 24, he is supposed to be released. What do they do? These men are so filthy and wicked, they literally incarcerate him and let him rot in jail for two solid years before he goes before Caesar. And this is where he spends his time in Rome. It's actually said at this point in Paul's life that in this, in this era that this is when he wrote Corinthians. And I believe that's true because he shows a real sign of physical and mental depression in, the, in Corinthians, and it's very difficult for him. But here we see, going into Acts 24, Paul is now in the castle. Does anybody have any idea who built this castle? And it's fascinating. Who built this castle? Who's the one that spent all of his money, put tons of money into the artistry, big beautiful pillars, marble, gold? Herod. Herod himself is the one. And you know, it's amazing, because the whole time I'm reading this, and I'm looking at this little tete-a-tete between Ananias, Tertullus, and Felix, I'm thinking of Pilate and Herod. Because remember how they conspired against Christ? If you read any history at all, Pilate and Herod, yes. They, didn't they, they hated each other, didn't they? They despised each other. But when it came to eradicating Christians, isn't it amazing how they come together? You see that today in our politics? From that point, and they both died horrible deaths. One was eaten by worms and one committed suicide. Isn't, you know, it's amazing. It's like that beautiful Bible verse in Psalm 73, 18, where Asaph cries out, Until I entered into the sanctuary of my God, then understood I their end. You want to understand the end of what's going to happen to these people that do all these filthy, wicked things? You enter into the sanctuary. You study the Word of God, and you'll see the truth. Well, here we go. Acts 24. All of a sudden, this is not the Ananias of, of Acts chapter 9. Not that precious Christian that took Paul by the hand and prayed with him when the Lord said, you go and you take care of Paul. And Paul was public enemy number one, Saul of Tarsus at the time. And Ananias says, almost he says, Lord, what do you mean? I can't do this. This guy's public enemy number one. Remember him? That's not him. This is another Ananias. After, and after five days, Ananias, as the high priest, descended. He descended. That means he went out of the presence of everyone with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus who informed the governor against Paul. Who was Tertullus? Because Tertullus is a wicked man. Very wicked. And we see here the Jewish lies when Claudius Lysias sent Paul away, what he had done is he extracted them out of the vehement, hypocritical rule of the chief priest that wanted to appear against Paul. So while Ananias is speaking against the Roman Empire, he's furious because that Claudius Lysias took Paul out of his clutches. They wanted to rip him to pieces. 
Then he turns around and he gets Tertullus. Tertullus, by tradition and by history, is a Jew. But he actually became an orator, basically a, a DA, a prosecuting attorney for the Roman government. So he's playing both ends against the middle. So he's the liaison for Ananias. The Jews were furious that they would have to go all the way to Caesarea, but that was because of Claudius Lysias. And now Paul's with Felix, so they had to go to the court there in Caesarea, 40 miles away from Jerusalem, and they didn't have a light rail system. They didn't have Uber. That's a long journey on a, on a horse. The Jews once again had failed, and they had not been able to grab Paul and tear him to pieces, as 40 conspiring Jews had desired to fast and not do anything until they killed him. They failed. You see what malice does to a man's heart? You see what it does? Now, as we go into these verses, I'll show you what, I'll show you what the Lord has laid on my heart to show you what malice does to a man's heart. What should Ananias, if he was a true high priest, what should he have been doing? What should he have been doing? He should have been depending Paul. Right, he should have been defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. He hated Christ. Here he is a Jewish, he's supposed to be, he would probably have called himself some kind of Levitical priest. But if you're a little Levitical priest, you're supposed to love Christ. John the Baptist loved Christ. You read John 1, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. The world became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. This is another kangaroo court. They once again were lying, just as they did at the arraignment of Christ. In those courts, Christ was falsely accused of being an insurrectionist. Now Paul is. Breaker of the law. Now Paul is. He was also accused of blasphemy. Christ was. Now Paul is. For elevating himself above Abraham, Moses, and equating himself with the Father. John 10.30 I and my Father are one. And those were the six words that really poured gasoline on the fire to the Jews against Christ. This was Christ's perfect providence. Ananias and Tertullus are much like Caiaphas and Pilate with Herod. These very names we see here, they, they, they were furious. And we see a high priest, or I should say a so-called high priest, Ananias, who is very brutal, he has this orator named Tertullus, who is now Ananias' liaison, to the governor Felix. Now look what Tertullus says to Felix. Verse 2. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness. Great quietness? Felix was a bloodthirsty murderer. Like Joe Biden. Be, seeing that thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done with this nation by thy providence. He says providence. We accept it always and in all places. Most noble Felix with all thankfulness. What a bunch of patronizing flattery. It's, it, 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 yes, a psychopath. That's a perfect word. And so... Here now, as you see the way that he's speaking, you can now di differentiate in your mind and in your heart and start like maybe opening up on these verses what's really going on. You know, there's an old saying, you can't tell the players without a program. Right now you have Ananias, the high priest, who's supposed to be doing what's right. 
He is so embroiled in malice, like we were just talking about, he is so taken in that now he is 100% turned against the Christian church. And he does not want anything but to have this man, Paul the Apostle, killed. That's, how, that's the malice in his heart. And so what is the cause that follow against Paul and vigorously carried out? We see a great blindness in the office of the high priest now. Remember in the old Levitical law, a high priest was seated in perpetuity. When he performed the sacrifices, he stood. He honored the Lord God Almighty. He performed the sacrifices as led by God himself, and he never sat down. What did Christ say about Abraham? Again, to chapter 8 in book John. Does anybody remember? Very important. Yes, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. The Jews now are saying now that they hated Christ. That, 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 that these, these prophets hated Christ. And Christ also said beautifully, Moses spoke of me. He also spoke of Jonah. Remember Jonah, three days in the whale. He spoke of Jonah. Many, many times, the most quoted prophet in the New Testament was Isaiah. He quoted Isaiah so many times, over and over and over again. And here they are, they've turned against the Christian church. The very names of these men, they were, they were furious people. They were, very, they were willing to kill him, and the Lord was protecting him. Ananias is with Tertullus, this orator. This, this orator just completely smoozes one of the most bloodthirsty. If you go back, Felix had so many Jews murdered. He went in and he had so many killed, and he was very brutal. The cause that followed against Paul, you see what we see here is that the priest turns against him and we see the priest's job. And what's really important to understand about the priest's job is when you look at Caiaphas and Annas and Ananias, they were not priests in perpetuity. The high priests of old were a priest once till they died. And that's what the office of a priest was. They now had a political voting system. And now they could set a priest down, like Annas, when Annas was called and he was basically giving Caiaphas information and he was helping Caiaphas. He had no right to be seated if he was a real priest. He had no right to be sat down and retiring. He had no right to do that. If you were a priest in perpetuity, so we can see right there a breach in what the priesthood was. These were false prophets. They were wicked. Remember that our Lord, He would blame the office of these high priests when they did not carry out his decree, he made them contemptible and base and literally, literally brought condemnation. Can somebody look, Mal up, look up Malachi chapter 2 verse 9 and read that please? While you're looking that up, the fact that I, Ananias should discover himself as one of a very high-ranking priest and have enmity against one of God's anointed shows his utter contemptible nature against the apostle and against his own eternity. He openly rejected the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Malachi 2.9, please. Partial, thank you, Jacob. Try to process that verse in your database there, process that verse and how God said that these priests are contemptible. This means that there are priests that do exist that are contemptible. There are pastors that are contemptible. 
There are many that are contemptible that don't do the work of the Lord. And here Paul is the only one here that's not being labeled contemptible because he's doing the work of the Lord. So if you want to learn how to do the work of the Lord, look at what Paul does. Watch what he does here and you will see many tenets and many applications that show what we are to do in trials as a Christian. Here's what I find fascinating. This is the thing that I picked up over many, many years of reading this. Let's go to verse 4. After we hear Tertullus basically schmoozing Felix now. Notwithstanding that I be no further tedious unto thee, I pray that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. Felix now is... No, no. Tertullus is begging Felix. Please, O wonderful Felix, hear my words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Going back, that's like a thumb of Christ. You're, you're of this Nazarene. Who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom, now watch this, we took and would have judged according to our law. That's what, that's what hit me hard. He didn't say it was God's law. They didn't say it was the law of Moses predicated on God's direction. They now are calling it their legislation from the Old Testament, not God's, because it's not God's law. It's not. They took that law and they have taken it and they have whittled it down to nothing. And basically now it's a works-oriented theology. And so now Tertullus, who is now being puppeted by Ananias, goes to Felix and says, we have every right... What were the three names that they call Paul? Look in the verses. Can someone cry? Yes. Look at the other ones. Isn't it amazing how they brought these accusations up against Paul, but no evidence? Paul's standing there. He doesn't even have any defense. He doesn't even have an attorney. He has nobody to stand over them. Kind of reminds me of somebody else a little earlier on. Christ himself. He has no defense. And so Tertullus says, generally speaking, and you have to be careful with that. You know, when you're, when you, when you're, when you're you maybe having some kind of a conflict with somebody that you might, but a family member, somebody that you've known, a friend or whatever, and all of a sudden they turn on you and they start using generalizations with nothing to back up, be real careful with that. Because that can come. And all of a sudden these big words come out of Tertullus' mouth. Oh, he's a mover of sedition. That means he's, 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 a, he's an insurrectionist. Oh, he's also, he's, he's a ringleader. So he's basically, he's saying he's a cult leader of all the Christian church. And then later on, we'll see that term, the people of the way again. But the one that really gets me is he called him a pestilent fellow. What did the Jews know about pestilence? What they were saying was he was a plague. Remember the pestilence back in the Old Testament with the plagues of Egypt and many other plagues came with famines? They were saying he's so bad that he's a pestilent fellow. He's a plague to our cult. They're the ones that had the cult. Paul had the truth. I just, I just can't believe how far that they would go. You know, Josephus makes a very interesting summation of this man, Tertullus. He said that out of the matter of convenience... Basically, just I'm paraphrasing this. This order, he's basically supposed to be the prosecutor for the chief priest. Ananias would harangue and make all kinds of long-winded, patronizing statements to the rulers and judges, namely Felix here. 
he would have these long affirmations in order to butter up the political establishment. And that's what even Josephus, who was a Pharisee, wrote about Tertullus. He was a Jew. He said that, he said that Tertullus just had this gift of haranguing and saying these wonderful things to sell his product in order to pull people in. Boy, do we see that anywhere today in the court systems? Remember the OJ trial? <laughs> Remember some of these other trials that, that have been out there? And how they stand there and they just love, they just love Joe Biden. Oh, Barack Obama. It was so bad, Barack Obama, even Joe Biden was left by himself. He was basically pushed aside when, he, when Obama walked into the room. And they all just, they go up and they touch him and they love him. And, they have all, and the guy's a murdering tyrant. That's all he is. And this is what's happening here. This is the same thing that we see in our Congress today. And look at all the names that, that have popped up with this corruption here in chapter 24. One of the things that, that uh, Josephus had written about in his book, uh, his, his overview of many of the events that happened in the New Testament, is that Tertullus would actually stand there and say wonderful things about a man named Felix who, by incident, took one of the high priests whose name was Jonathan, probably named after the Jonathan of the Old Testament with David, and since the high priest called Felix out on what a wicked governor that he was, this man, Jonathan, disappeared and they found him murdered. He took a knife to the other Jews and filleted them right there and let the blood run out. That's one of the many events of this wonderful peacemaker, Felix. Look at the blood that's flowing on these babies that are being aborted. Donald Trump, he, he called that out last night. He called that out very, very boldly and courageously. He did. He called that out and he said, Lord, help them. Well, the Lord's going to deal with them. And he's right about that. And the people flock. They flock to these, these wicked people. And here is another lesson, and we'll have to end with this. This is a real lesson about flattery. Flattery is a real problem. And that's a real problem we have today in this nation. A lot of flattery. You see it on social media. Flattery. It's an incredible lesson about flattery. Here, Ananias petitions Tertullus to pretend to have a great care upon the Jews and not to entrench himself or take any sides, which he does. Basically, Tertullus caters to Ananias and they both cater to Felix. He's a he's bloodthirsty governor. And what's he doing? He basically is inducing Felix to give countenance for all of their cares and do everything and look for the righteousness in their filth. And boy, does this sound familiar in Congress today. How wicked that is. You know, there's a difference between here, there's a difference between flattery and loyalty. The only loyal subject here in this whole narrative is Paul the Apostle, who's being loyal to Christ, suffering for his sake, has done nothing of sedition, he is not a pestilent fellow, and he's not a ringleader, he's a pastor. And that's what basically pastors are being called today that defend the name of Jesus Christ. They're being called terrorists and ringleaders. And, and it's just, it, 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 all the names that have come up and basically, uh, you know, in this critical race theory, a whole list of what Christians are called, they're basically called racists. You know all the names. Jesus freaks, you know. Here Paul is the best man and he's the one being accused of being the worst of male factors, mover of sedition, because he was the prisoner. And they literally stretch these general accusations to say that he was a plague. 
And here, what they do, following a flourish of flattery, which is nothing but a wicked word salad, Tertullus refers to his excellently, and he considers the prisoner as nothing but a nauseous, annoying virus. You know, it's easy to take an innocent man and to chain him, to beat him and make him look like a criminal, and then sit there and talk about him when he's never done, he's never done a thing. It's exactly what they did to Christ. What they did, they made him look like a criminal. Well, it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck. That's what they say. And he had done nothing wrong. And this is what's happened with the martyrs all down through the centuries. And here Paul eventually would become a martyr. But there's a period, there is actually what happens forward, and I'm going to stop here. There's another fascinating event that's about to happen. I I really encourage you to read this and read some commentary. Because you will not, when you start reading, you won't be able to put it down. In the first few years, I found out of Nero's reign as a king, he actually was a very good king, starting off. Because he had been trained by, I believe his name, I, I can't remember, it's, he was the brother of a great philosopher who trained Nero, and Nero actually at first was a very reverent, and he was actually a very mannerly type of king. And he had actually at one point defended Paul going into this. And all of a sudden, Nero just snapped once he got into power. And he became the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. He was called the Lion of Tyranny or something. I can't remember. I'll have all that ready because I'm working on that now. But boy, this is incredible how what happens to Felix, and I'm going to have the details on that, he marries Drusilla, and we see that, and both of them are burned alive in Mount Vesuvius of Pompeii. And that's their end. And so, you know, I remember listening to several messages and one pastor in particular said, you know what, one thing you never want to do is go up against the Apostle Paul. (laughs) He said you don't want to do that. So here with the gospel being the central focus, we'll see what Paul's stand is next time. We're going to go over this a little more. I got some more notes here and then we'll go forward with that. So let's end with prayer. And maybe I'll ask, uh, uh, Greg, could you close us this morning? Thank you.